0: we're in this series where we're looking at Jesus's encounters with various people, statements that he makes, teachings that he might have. And um, there are always things that are a bit complex, uh, a bit perplexing. And so we've been trying to identify what some of those are. I, I, I was telling the uh, band before the service, I said, you know, every once in a while in these weeks, like this week in particular, I was like, why in the heck am I picking some of these topics? They're so, I mean, they're just—they're not easy ones. You know, it just—it takes time. It's not just like John three sixteen. Jesus really loves you and died for you. Done. You know, let's go. It's these things that it's like. What is going on here? What's happening? And so um, tonight we're we're picking this one, where um, Jesus has an encounter with some religious leaders, and he says something that is very perplexing. In fact, I'm not even going to tell you what it is because it's so odd. <laughs> Let's read the passage, and I, there's a chance I will not be able... For some reason, the preferences are not uh, coming up on this. So, shoot, I apologize. Um, I don't want to quit it because I don't lose all my tabs. Ah, darn it. Well, if you have a Bible, <clears throat> open it up to John chapter 10 or turn it on or whatever it might be, and um, we're going to start reading in uh, verse verse 22. So, John chapter 10, verse 22. At at that time, the feast of dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of uh, Solomon. "'So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, "'How long will you keep us in suspense? "'If you are the Christ, tell us plainly.' "'And Jesus answered them, "'I told you, and you do not believe. "'And then he says, "'The works that I do in my Father's name "'bear witness about me, "'but you do not believe, "'because you are not among my sheep. "'My sheep hear my voice, "'and I know them, and they follow me. "'I give them eternal life, "'and they will never perish.' no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then he says, I and the Father are one. And in verse 31, it says the Jews immediately pick up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Then Jesus answered them, or I'm sorry, the Jews answered him, it is not for good works that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. And Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say to him, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I am doing them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And again, they sought to arrest him. What, what, was, what would you guess the, the sort of naughty, difficult passages in this? Yeah, that's a little weird, right? You are gods. Um, and so the question arises, like, what is, so is, is Jesus denying monotheism? You know, is he de- denying the Shema, the Hebrew Shema, hero of Israel, the Lord our God is one? Uh, are, are the Muslims correct that, you know, those Christians who have this trinity, it's just a veiled picture of polytheism? You know, they're like you know, Greek polytheists. Are the, are the Mormons accurate in that there really are kind of an infinite number of gods? In fact, our God was once a man who lived on an earth much like ours. It might get, almost looks like he could potentially be affirming one or all of those. So what is going on here? Well, first thing we wanted to ask, if you have your Bible, those of you who have your Bible, and again, I wish I could, that's frustrating. Um, if you have your Bible, does, it, does your Bible tell you what he's reading? He, he's quoting from something. He's quoting from a psalm, Psalm 82, and specifically verse 6. So as weird as this psalm is, we like we have to go to... Or as we're this passages, we have to go to the psalm. So this is this is what we read. This is Psalm chapter eighty-two, and um, this is what we read. It says God has taken. Now try to wrap your mind to this. is little It's weird for us. This is ancient Israelite thinking. God has taken His place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. And then God begins railing against these gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked." They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about and this is people, you stop, they walk about in darkness, all the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, "You are gods, sons of the most high, all of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die, and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit. All the nations, so here 's the question: who are these characters <laughs> right who he stands in the council um, and he says the these um, sons of God are there in fact, he calls them Elohim is just the Hebrew word for God you know the i 've called you elohim i 've called you gods, and then he pronounces a judgment view on them now i can't i can 't go into all the details here because we just don 't have time the consensus majority view, if you pick up a commentary on the book of John, it's going to do its best it can to try to say, these are just people. Like, these are just men. These are just guys. They're either, you know, the two options, either they're like Moses's guys when he uh, kind of put some judges underneath himself to make decisions, or they're just kind of general Israelites. And for multiple reasons, uh, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work back in Psalm 82. It certainly doesn't help Jesus' case in John 10, you know, like when he's saying, like, hey, we're all gods. It's okay. Everyone's a god. <laughs> like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I think the, the only meaningful view is that these are, these are actual spiritual beings that he's talking to here. Um, and in fact, we know that they're not just humans because of where it takes place, if there's any doubt where the divine counsel takes place, you could go over to Psalm 89 in the very tiny that you can't read because my preferences aren't working. Psalm uh, 89, verses 5 and 7, tell us where the divine counsel takes place. It says, Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies, this is cluing us into where this is taking place, can be compared to the Lord. Who among it it's actually the sons of God some translations say the heavenly beings, who is like the Lord? who's like Yahweh? a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones. So if there's any doubt, God's divine counsel, it's not taking place here on Earth. This is where God's space is. this is in the heavenly realms. and God's divine counsel is not on Earth. So how about this whole Elohim thing? What's going on with that? So this is interesting. We, um, the word Elohim, it, it, it's, not, it's not a word that has specific characteristics or attributes attached to it. It's more of like where you live. If you're an Elohim, it means you don't live on earth. It means you're a spiritual being. So God is an Elohim. Angels are Elohim. Uh, the cherubim... Are Elohim. All these spiritual beings, it it just means they're spiritual beings who don't live here, but they live where spiritual beings live. Does that make sense? It's a it's a it's a broad term. So God is an Elohim, but not all Elohim are God. Does that make sense? And it's harder because we don't have like the exact match-up language that they do. And so we have to kind of struggle a little bit with this. But this is the whole concept of, of what these Elohim are. And so in Psalm 82, God is pronouncing this like eschatological, meaning like end times judgment on these Elohim, these divine beings. And it's connected with you know, what they refer to as the day of the Lord a lot in the Old Testament. The day of the Lord's coming, and that's when everything's gonna, everyone's going to you know, pay for what they've done. Justice will prevail. So what is the divine counsel? Because that's mentioned here. I don't think a whole lot about the divine counsel. The divine counsel to the ancient Hebrew mind, it's a biblical phrase used to refer to spiritual beings being responsible to God for assisting him in governing in heaven and earth. Now you might go, why does God need spiritual beings to assist him? He doesn't. (laughs) why Why does God need human beings to assist him in cultivating the earth? He doesn't. He's chosen to partner with humanity. He says, I want to partner with you. So he doesn't, it's not like this is needed. He has a human family. That's what he longs for with us, right? Paul's language is we've been adopted as sons and daughters. He has a human family, but he also has a divine family. These Elohim, these sons of God. This is how the Hebrews thought of this. And if you want to look up this idea of them having actual authority in different places. I'll give you just a couple of references. You can look them up later. 1 Kings 22, 19, Daniel 4, 17, Daniel 4, 24, Daniel 7, 10. Now, you might say, okay, but where did this all come from? Like, spiritual beings put in charge of things like, where, where did this start? Did it just come out of thin air? No, No, actually. If you go back to Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9, Deuteronomy 32 is written further in the future, but it's looking back to Genesis 11. Babel, remember the the Tower of Babel thing? So Deuteronomy 32, it's looking back at that, and it's explaining what happened after God judged the people at Babel. Deuteronomy 32 says this, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, and you'll find out what the inheritance is here. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. So there are these divine spiritual beings, the sons of God, and he's assigning them to the nations to care for them, to, in a sense, kind of shepherd them. But the Lord's portion, his inheritance, is Jacob his allotted heritage. And it's right after Babel, if you remember, God disinherits the nations and then he goes and out of the nation he plucks one guy, Abram, <laughs> who's uh, and basically says this is going to be my people. This is going to be my inheritance. And that's the language that's spoken about all throughout scripture. And that's what we find here in Psalm 82, Jesus God is in the divine council and he's speaking to these sons of God, these Elohim, and he's railing against them, judging them saying, you've corrupted people. You've brought chaos into the world. You have not shepherded them. Well, let me just pause and say this. If, if, if this whole divine council worldview is just like foreign as all get out, <laughs> I get it. Let me make one suggestion to you. There, there are, maybe I can do this, even though I can't. Here we go. I can at least show you this. Um, there's an author by the name of Michael Heiser. Michael Heiser was a uh, scholar-in-residence at uh, Logos Bible Software for a number of years. Brilliant PhD um, in Semitic languages uh, from University of Wisconsin-Madison. Brilliant, brilliant guy. And he's written two books, one of them, The Unseen Realm, Rediscovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible. That one's a little bit more academic, just meaning like lots of footnotes. Um, and then there's one that's a little bit more popular, a little bit more accessible, and that's Supernatural, what the Bible teaches about the unseen realm. So maybe start with the Supernatural one if you're interested. But this is, this is someone who can kind of introduce you to the ancient Israelite worldview that you get in your head so that when you read these texts, it's not quite so foreign. <laughs> so I would highly encourage you to look, look him up, read these books. If you're not a reader, go on YouTube and you'll be able to find a number, of, uh, uh, a number of his lectures and that sort of thing, and preferences still aren't working. Okay, um, okay. so Psalm 82, verse 6, he says, I said, he's speaking to these Elohim, I said, you are God's sons of the Most High, right? But they've, they've corrupted that sort of thing. Now, let's take that and let's go back to John 10. John 10, let me read, uh, let's see here, verses. Um, I'm just going to read verses 30 through 39 here. John 10, 30, he says, um, I and the Father are one. The Jews pick up uh, rocks to stone him. And he says, You know, for what good thing are you stoning me for? He said, You know, it's, it's not for anything good you did. It's basically you're committing blasphemy. You're claiming to be God. And then he says, isn't it written in your law, I said that you are God's? What is going on here? Well, here's the thing. He's claiming divine parentage. He's saying, hey, you remember Psalm 82? Do you remember that there are these Elohim, the sons of God? There are beings which are not merely mortal. They are immortal beings who have divine parentage, just like we are sons, we're children." So there are these sons of God, there are these non-human spiritual beings which are part of God's family, and they're not just mortals. So that's step one. He's saying, let me create a new category for you, <laughs> okay? Because you you're you just a man, you make yourself God. Step one, let me create a worldview category for you. There are these divine spiritual beings. They exist. They're in your scriptures. Remember another time he says, you know, You fail because you don't even know your own scriptures. So God is my father. I'm claiming divine parentage. Therefore, I'm not like you guys, he's saying. Then he says, if you don't believe me, verse 37, if I am not doing the works of my father, don't believe me. But if I do them, even if you don't believe me, believe the works of the father. It's interesting, this phrase that he picks up on the works of the father, it's a phrase meaning only stuff God can do. (laughs) He's like, you know humans can't do these works. You've seen what I've been doing. Humans can't do these things. So he says, I'm not like you, okay? New category, there are these divine spiritual beings. Step two, he ups the ante. In verse 38, he says, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And they immediately... Try to kill him again. I mean, they know exactly he is, he is up the ante. See, he's saying it's not just that I'm one of the sons of God. It's not, I'm not just saying, uh, you know, there's a lot of gods. You know, I'm just one of them. A lot of spiritual beings. He's saying, no, 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 no. There are a lot of spiritual beings, some of them faithful to God, some of them unfaithful to God. It's not just that. I am in the Father. And more importantly, he says this phrase, the Father is in me. He sends, he's saying we're, we're, we're ontologically, by nature, inseparable, which is to say you can't have one without the other. That's why Jesus says in places, you, the only way to the Father is through the Son. We're inseparable. And so this phrase, the Father is in me, it actually has deep, significant Old Testament context. And Jesus, he's he's tapping into that. Um, John uses this phrase of Jesus many times. This isn't like the only time. John 14, 10, 11, 20. John 17, 21, 23. All of these, the whole God is in him thing, have Old Testament precursors, antecedents, something that came before that he's tapping into. Let me read for you. Go back to Exodus chapter 23. And in Exodus... This is a passage where God has delivered Moses and the Israelites from Egypt, and they're going to be traveling to the promised land. You remember that narrative, right? And in Exodus chapter 23, verse 20, listen to what what God says. This is really interesting, because this will help fill in this whole God is in you thing. He says, behold, I send an angel before you. This is as they're walking in the desert. I send an angel before you to guard you on your way, and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. And he says, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. Very interesting. He says, but if you carefully obey his voice, this angel whose God's name is in him, and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies, an adversary to your adversaries. This is what's called the name of theology in the Old Testament. Uh, Old Testament scholars speak of this, the name theology. Um, even, even conservative Jews today, if, if they're conservative anyway, th- there's a certain understanding of the name of Yahweh. Yahweh is just four consonants, Y-H-W-H. Um, but if you speak to um, a conservative, in fact, like some conservative Jewish, scholars, if they're teaching, they won't even allow the divine name to be said in, you know, in, their, in their presence. And so they will say, okay, when you're reading across the text and you come to the divine name, Yahweh, don't say it, substitute either Adonai, which means Lord, or Hashem, which is just the name, okay? So there's this, you Now, why is it? It's not that there's nothing miraculous about the four consonants, right? There's nothing uh, supernatural about that in any way. But listen to Psalm 20, verse 1 and verse 7. It says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God, of the God of Jacob protect you. And then down in verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, the author is not saying, hey, these four consonants are going to protect you guys. If you're ever in battle, just run out there and just scream Y-H-W-H or maybe write it on the ground and, you know, you know, no one will be able to do anything. No, the chariots will go right over those four consonants in the ground and run you over. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. His point is that the idea is that the name that is God. It's it's another way of referring to God. Hashem, the name that is simply it's it is referring to God. So in Exodus 23, when he says, "Hey, pay special attention." to this angel that I'm putting before you and he's gonna lead you and you're actually gonna follow him and, uh, and don't disobey him. Well, why? Because he has my name in him. God is saying, this angel is me in human form. So, so that number one, you can visually detect me, I think God would say, frankly, so that my essence is filtered enough that it doesn't destroy you. But the name is God. Um, Isaiah verse uh, 30, 27 speaks about the name is going to come and do all this sort of thing. It's it's just speaking of God. So let's ask this question, and this will maybe kind of pull some of this together. Who was it that delivered Israel out of Egypt and took them to the promised land? Well, most Christians say, well, you know, it it was God. Yeah, okay. There's some passages, you know, that say that. Um, Exodus 23, what we just read above, it says an angel. An angel was the one who delivered them and led them. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.37 says this, and because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence. A punny is the word. Wait a minute, his presence, God's, Yahweh's presence brought him out? Uh, Judges 2, 1 says this. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I have brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. You go, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so Brent, who like who delivered them? <laughs> is it God? Is it Elohim? Is it Yahweh? Is it the angel of the Lord? Is it is it the presence? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. That's the whole they're all the same way. Of referring to the same being. Go back to Exodus 23. My name is in the angel. That's just the Old Testament way of saying, this is God in human form. And we see that in the Old Testament. Now, bring that back again to John chapter 10. So think about, it. remember, step one, Jesus's argument was, hey, I'm going to create, or I'm going to create in your minds a whole new category. There are these divine spiritual beings, the sons of God, some faithful, some not. They exist. They're real. And then the second step, I'm in that, he says, and I'm in that category. But then the second step, he says, but the name is in me. Do you see what he's saying? It's a radical claim. And they, I mean, they got it right away. That's why he said, you know, again, let's arrest this guy. I mean, he he can't be any clearer to the Hebrew mind. So now given all that, let's read the passage again. Because again, this is our goal every week, is we want to look at a passage that's oftentimes difficult, (laughs) difficult to grasp, to get our arms around and be like, what's happening here? And so we want to walk away saying, I think I understand a little bit more about Jesus, from this passage. So let's, let's read it again, and we'll start in verse 31. We read, uh, the Jews, and, and when it says Jews, it means religious leaders, not all the Jews. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered, I have shown you many good works from the Father. From which one of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for good works that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, which category is he in, according to them? (laughs) Yeah. You, being a man, make yourself like God, like an Elohim. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are Elohim. You are gods. Again, who did he say that to? It was to the divine council, the ones who were charged to rule, who were ruling inappropriate. He says, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the word of God being this judgment, this railing against them. And if scripture can't be broken, do you say of him who the father consecrated? Consecrated is meaning like your unique set apart. You're, you're utterly different. Elements in the temple were, used this word. They were consecrated. They couldn't be used for anything else. They were designed for one thing. And sent into the world. He's saying, that's me. I'm an Elohim who was consecrated for one purpose. Totally unique, sent into the world. Are you going to tell me because of that that I'm blasphemy? Because I said I am the Son of God? And then he points to the works. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even, you know, sort of like, even though you don't like me, <laughs> believe in the works that you may know and understand, that you may know and understand that the Father's in me. I am that one. That one who led Israel out, that was me. And I am the Father, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him. This final section, it's, it's a critical revelation. It's a critical moment in John's gospel that we read here. This is if you've if you've like read much context, this is the final discourse where Jesus reveals who he is in the in the book before he goes to the cross. It's it's sort of the ultimate final. You really want to know who I am? All right. <laughs> Get ready, baby. This is who I am. <clears throat> and the account ends, which is really interesting. If you read the next verse, right after this, you know where he goes? We're told he, he goes back to the Jordan River, and it says, um, he goes back to the Jordan, the place where John had baptized him the first, which is, I mean, it's a beautiful thing that John's doing. He's looping the story back to the beginning, when Jesus' ministry began at the Jordan, and then all, all these different years and these times happening, and then the last big crescendo moment is this right here, where he, he says, you, you want to know about the spiritual world, the unseen realm? Let me tell you. <laughs> And then it says, and then he goes back to the Jordan. It says, where it all, where it all began. And John is so fascinating in, in his writing. He wants us to see that by nature or ontologically, the father and the son, um, they're one. They're inseparable. And so from the very beginning of John's gospel, remember John 1.1? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the word was God. How does that work out? <laughs> right? Well, that's kind of what Jesus is talking about here. To the very end of the book, remember where Jesus meets Thomas who hadn't believed and, and Thomas falls down on his knees and what does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. See, they got it, they put it together. This exalted person that, th- why do they keep asking the question all throughout scripture, who is this that can? control the waves who is this that can <laughs> they keep asking this question and 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 he finally brings this crescendo answer in this and he does it in this moment that again to us it looks weird you're gods and we're just puzzled what <laughs> but to them they 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 put all the pieces together oh oh i see what you're saying and it's extreme and it's either insane or we have god with us again we have god's presence the very essence of Yahweh embodied again with us. And so I want to, as we start to move toward the end, I want to read for you a passage in Philippians. And it's a famous passage. You've probably read it a hundred times. And it's Paul talking about, as we live in this world, as, as we're in relationships, jobs and homes and families and friendships and all these sorts of things, he says remember, we're imagers of God. Remember, we did a whole series on image, of being an imager. And he says, given that you're an imager of this one, this being that we just kind of looked at tonight, he says this, in your relationships and all the different things you're involved in, have the same mindset or attitude as that Yahweh character did. And then listen to how he describes it. Who being in very nature... Elohim, you would say, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Boy, I use a lot of things for my own advantage. (laughs) Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness and being found in appearance As a man, that was the discussion that these guys were having here. You're just a man. He humbled himself. This is the Lord of the council. The Lord of the council humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name. Oh, there that is again. (laughs) That is above every name. That at the name which is in him, we could say, of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's all the principalities, the powers, the ones who have rebelled that he condemned in Psalm 82. They will bow. They don't have power anymore. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ, because the name is inside him, that makes him the Lord of the council, of the divine council, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's the God we serve. Isn't that just... It's huge. (laughs) It's enormous. And we celebrate every week. We come together and we take elements that remind us, that call us back to, that tap into... The great epic story of what God did when He stepped down into that deep humility, death, even death on a cross, and now is exalted. And that's the God we serve, the exalted Lord of the Council. So during these next few minutes, I'll invite you to come to the tables, grab the elements, the bread, the, the juice there in that are in that little safety cup. Uh, I think we have allergy free ones in the back hold them, go back to your uh, spot, stand and engage in worship, or you can sit and engage in worship, and then after this song, I'll come back up and we'll all take it together, okay? Each week, we're reminded of the reality of what our great God has done for us, that he left the throne, <laughs> the divine council, to come here to be with his human family in order to bring them home, to bring us home, And each time we we take these elements, we remind ourselves of the sacrifice and we look forward to the consummation of his kingdom, fully being here. Let's take the bread, his body, broken for us. And the cup, his blood shed, making a new covenant. Heavenly Father, we pause before we go back into all of the demands on our lives, the expectations, and God, I pray that by your Spirit, you would empower us anew. God, remind us that we are filled with the Spirit of of Yahweh, and that your Spirit resides inside each one of us temples moving about your world. And God, as we are cognizant of that, would you help us to also be sensitive to what your spirit would want to do through us, especially in the relationships around us. Break our hearts for the people who are hurt and lonely and afraid and scared. And would you give us appointments with them that we might be the hands and feet of Jesus, to those that you were calling back home, you were calling to be your family. We love you, God. Thank you for calling us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for pressing in uh, each week and just trudging through passages in scripture that, that, that are at times challenging, aren't they? Um, hey, just as a reminder, if, if you, uh, you want to take this with you, or the, or the website, would love to have as many of you participate as possible with our Fall Food Drive. Um, you can start bringing the items next Wednesday, and we'll have that little spot out, out there for you, okay? Hey, if you have kids, I finished, this is like a miracle. This is why we know this is a miracle, I finished early. Uh, if you have kids in the kids programming, don't barge in there and interrupt, just hang out for 10 minutes, something like that, is that okay? Thank you. Hey, love you guys. Love being with you. Thanks for being here tonight. Have a great week.